Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to speak to you on the subject, from the subject of the Sermon on the Mount. This is an incredible sermon preached by Jesus Christ in the region of Galilee overlooking Judea in the cathedral of his creation. He preached the greatest sermon ever preached by any individual. It might be the most incredible document of how to live, ethics, ethos, values ever put together in all of human history. It is the Christian constitution. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So we're going to take the next few weeks, maybe even months, and go um, section by section through the Sermon on the Mount. There's so many different subjects that Jesus went through in all of them, very relevant to the church, to our lives, to where we're at. It's amazing how living the Word of God really is. It comes alive and applies itself even today. So the Sermon on the Mount was radical then. It's radical now. It slices deep then. It slices deep now. And I believe that it's really going to be used by God to speak to our church. So if you want to join in in the coming months, I'd encourage you this season, meditate on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to preach through it, and together we're going to hear from God. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 5. The Bible says this, Seeing the crowds, everywhere Jesus went there were crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the very first of the eight Beatitudes, the eight blessings, the eight proclamations from the mouth of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do pray that your blessing is on us. God, as we come before you, needing you, God, I pray right now that you speak through me, God, just as your vessel. Speak directly to our situations, our lives. Speak into your church and direct us. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to I speak to you um, on the subject of the Sermon on the Mount. The theme throughout the entire sermon is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, when we find Jesus right before this, we find him, the Bible says, going through all of the synagogues in all of Galilee in that region, preaching and teaching the people about the kingdom of heaven. This is right at the beginning of his ministry. First things first. Here's what you need to get right. Here's what matters. Here's what the mouth of God is speaking to the heirs that he had created. And what subject does he choose? He says, lift your eyes. Come up higher. Let's speak about eternity. He goes to the kingdom of heaven. All the problems that were going on, all the social ills, everything that's going on with Rome, Pharisees, Sadducees, all the healings that were needed. But first things first, Jesus says, I'm going to lift your mind, your spirit, heavenward. And he begins to speak about the kingdom of heaven. And the Sermon on the Mount is really Christ's call to us to join God's counter-cultural kingdom. 2,000 plus years later, it is still a counter-cultural kingdom. And the more that the world denies Christ, the more that the world slips into evil and immorality, the more this call becomes clearer and clearer, louder and louder, more and more forthright, the call to live 
Not in the earth, but in the kingdom of heaven. Not in the temporary, but in the eternal. To come to God's kingdom, which is radically counter to the culture. And I'm hoping that as we speak through these subjects, you will use this sermon from Jesus as a framework for your faith. This is what your faith should look like. This is how your life should act and how your words should align. And this can become the outer framework, like a new Ten Commandments for every single Christian. And that's what I'm hoping it becomes for our church, that we let these words come in and begin to speak to us. Jesus begins with opening his mouth, the Bible says, in teaching. He opened his mouth and he taught them. Here is the one that created them, the very mouth that created the universe, is now speaking to his created beings, and the Bible says he's going to teach you. This, right, right away, this is why it's the greatest sermon ever preached, because the one that made words is about to use his word to expound on the word for his creation. Jesus is about to teach. This is the word of God. And, and, and here, in this moment, the crowd has a critical determination that they need to make. The crowd has this determination every time they come into a church, every time that they are going to hear a sermon. The crowd has to determine, will they receive the words or will they be closed off to the words? Will they be open to the teachings of Christ or will they be closed, distant, uncomfortable, Will they follow or not follow? And you might think, well, of course they'll follow. But if you read through the Bible, many times people were purposefully closed to the teachings of God. He opens his mouth and the word is about to deliver the word. And here people have to choose, will we receive it? Today, you have to choose, will you receive the word of God? Every Sunday, every time you open the word of God, you have to come back to this place of how will you approach the throne. I pray you come boldly. I pray you come open. I pray you don't come critically to the word of God. That you don't have a hard heart. That you don't cross your arms. You know, the reality is many people will come to God, but they won't be open to God. They'll, close, they'll be closed off, critical. Critical about the church, critical about the preachers, critical, critical about the preaching, the delivery, the style, the substance. And, and, and pretty soon what happens is your heart gets colder and colder and colder. But hear me, if you will be open, even a word poorly delivered will get to your heart because the Holy Spirit will speak. Here Jesus is about to speak. And I believe if we will be open, he will speak to his church, his people today. I, I hope that you don't have a can't-tell-me-nothing vibe. I hope you don't have that vibe where no one can tell you anything, no one can tell you right or wrong, you know better. Let me put it this way. If you have a hard heart, eventually you'll have a hard life. But if you have an open heart, if your heart is soft to the things of God, if you have ears that desire to hear righteousness, I'm telling you, God will plant seeds in your heart that will bring a harvest. I pray we are people and we are a church that are given over to the word of God. 
In other words, we get our direction from the word of God. We get truth from the word of God. The question really is, whose words are you going to trust? Whose words are you going to live by? Which direction will you begin to walk in? I pray we choose to walk in the direction of the words of Jesus Christ. He is our teacher. He is our master. He is our savior. And when he speaks, we listen. We listen. We're open. See, the problem is the enemy always seeks to undermine the word of God. The enemy always comes and tries to work around the word of God. The enemy tries to, um, to, to, to dissipate it, to, to make it less than undermine the authority of God's word. Let's go back to the garden where we've been the past few weeks. Do you remember what the snake said to the woman? He said, did God really say? Did God really say? Think about it. The very first attack of the enemy was on the word of God. The very first temptation from the enemy was the temptation to diminish to walk away from, to treat as less than the word of God. Why? Why is it that he came against the word of God first? Why is it that he, he sought to reposition Adam and Eve against the word of God, to move them distant from the word of God? Did God really say that, 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 that this temptation was designed to diminish the word of God? Here, here's why, because Jesus will never be separated from the word of God. Jesus, I'll say that again, will not be separated from the word of God. In other words, you can't say, I'll take Jesus, but I'll leave the prophets. I'll take Jesus, but I'll leave the parables. I'll take Jesus, but I'll leave the miracles. Jesus and the word are one. The book of John begins like this. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The question you and I have to answer before we even get into the sermon is what do we believe about the word of God? What does God say? In a time where there's so many noise, so many noises, so much confusion, so many voices, we as Christians have to come back to the word and say, but what does the word say about this subject? What does this word say about this area of my life? What does the word say about this belief system, ideology? What does God's word say? What does Jesus have to say on this subject? What did God really say? And you, you might say, well, the world is saying this. Well, my emotions are saying this. Well, my lived experience is saying this. Hear me, the world, your emotions, or your lived experience does not override the truth of God. You must make the critical determination, I will trust the word over everything else. Satan hates the word so much, he attacks it with his very first action on planet Earth. He comes after the word because really he was always coming after Jesus Christ, the embodiment of the word of God. The enemy attacks the word because of its unlimited potential for life change. That's why the enemy comes after it because it's so powerful. The word has changed more lives than any other organization. The word has changed more lives than any other realization. The word has changed more lives than any other work, humanitarianism, any of it 
has not even come close to what happens when the word of God gets realized by men and women. Radical life change comes into who you are. So what I'm saying is, what's your position towards the word of God today? Are you allowing culture to move it away from you? Are you allowing the the things of life to make you distant from the word? Are you consumed with doubt? Because Jesus is speaking. Are you listening? Are you open? It's a great story about Billy Graham. At the very beginning of his ministry, he was wrestling with doubts about the word of God. And he's going back and forth. He's reading every verse on the word of God that's in the word of God. Verses like all uh, scripture is God-breathed. It has authority to correct, to bring change. And, and he's reading all of these verses on scripture, books and authors. And he's having conversations with all of these different people. And he had a friend. And his friend's name was Chuck Templeton. And, and his friend came up with him in the ministry. In fact, they started an evangelistic organization together. And his friend kept speaking to him and saying, Billy, you got to get with the times. He says, nobody trusts the word of God anymore. Nobody trusts that it is the word of God, from God. It's, it's, it's just a philosophical book. It's just an idea. It's just, it's just good thinking. That's good. Just preach from that. But come on, Billy, it's not the word of God. But Billy in his heart felt, I know, I know that this is God's word. I, I got to get to this place. There was this great struggle between doubt in his life, which doubt's not wrong, but eventually you have to make your choice. For weeks, he struggled with this, and they went to a conference together, and in between every session, here was this person. And you know what he was saying, essentially, was, did God really say? Let me tell you this. Whoever seeks to undermine the word of God in your life usually turns out to be a snake. Did God really say? Billy got up late one night when he was wrestling with this, walked out into the woods, into the forest, and he laid his Bible on a tree stump. He bowed before God, and he said, God, I don't understand it all. There's still things that don't make sense to my mind, things I can't even reconcile, but I choose today to trust in your word. I believe in the word of God. He said, when I got up from that floor, I knew that I had won a spiritual battle. There were still things to be conquered, still realizations to have, still things to work out, but I knew I overcame something. And that, he claims, is the beginning of his ministry, which was the greatest evangelistic ministry this world has ever seen in modern times. I, I'm here to tell you, when you settle it in your heart that I'm going to choose to trust the word of God over the world of Twitter, over the, 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 the movements of culture, over my emotions, my feelings, or things I want to be true. I trust what God is going to speak. It sets you up. It sets you up for radical life change, and it sets you up to be blessed. God taught them, but now he's about to pronounce blessing over them. And if you trust the word of God, you will be able to have blessings pronounced over your life by those very words. Every Sunday, when I speak, when I preach, every Sunday when you hear the word of God, you are presented with a choice. Do you submit to Jesus' words 
or do you separate yourself from Jesus' words? I believe every Sunday when we hear the word and we submit to God's word, every Sunday God works in our hearts and things begin to be changed. You might never become Billy Graham, but make no mistake, when you choose to trust God's word, God can become active in your life. Jesus taught the crowds saying this, Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. See, what you have to understand is this phrase, the poor in spirit, that might be a little foreign to us. This phrase doesn't mean that you have no faith. It doesn't mean that you are, you're in spiritual poverty, that you have no faith, that you don't have enough. What this phrase, the poor in spirit, means is that you acknowledge your need for God. God, I need faith. God, I need you. God, I need grace. I am poor in my spirit without your Holy Spirit. I'm poor in my mind without Christ's likeness in my mind. I am, I am in desperate need of you. The very first, a lot of this, what I'm speaking about, is positioning yourself. The first position you have to find yourself is an acknowledgement that, God, I don't have it all together. That I desperately do need you. In other words, you can't come to God with spiritual pride. You can't come to God saying, like, I'm good, I've got it, figured out. Let's see what you have to give. God says, no, that's not the way to blessing. The way to blessing is to come before me. Say, God, whatever you say, whatever you want, whoever you want me to be, I'm ready. In other words, I'm not going to say, well, you know, I'm spiritual, but just not religious. I study the text, but I've got other thoughts. No, Lord, I come. I say, Lord, I'm poor. I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing to give. I've got no actions that could make me righteous before you. I need you. And God says that, that's the right position. That's blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's their reward. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go read through the Sermon on the Mount. And one theme that you'll keep seeing over and over come up is the kingdom of heaven. And every time he even references God in the Sermon on the Mount, he reminds you that your father, and he keeps saying, who is in heaven. What, God, what, what Jesus is doing with this very first phrase in the beginning of his sermon is setting out the thesis statement for his entire sermon, saying, I'm going to teach you about how my kingdom works. I'm going to teach you about who your father is. I'm going to teach you about eternal things. You don't understand these things. You've been living in the temporary, in the small. You've been living in sin. You've been living in the effects of sin. But Jesus says, I'm going to elevate your mind right now. I'm going to favor your mind. But first, say to me, God, I'm empty. And if you do, I'm going to teach you and fill you with the kingdom of heaven. Three things you need to know about this kingdom. Three things you need to know about the heavenly establishment of God's throne. The first is that in the kingdom of heaven, there is a king. There is a king. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, yes. He is our Savior, yes. But he is our king. He is the one who is in control. Jesus says this about himself in John 18. He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders and crucified. But my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not temporary. It's not earthly. It's not rested on the shoulders of temporal things. My kingdom is not over, of this world. We have a king. Hear me? Jesus is our king. He is the foremost 
figure of authority in our lives. If you are a Christian, Jesus' voice should be elevated to the highest place. His words become put in the place of preeminence over your emotions, over the words of people around you, over even what you think. Because you're spiritually poor, and he's the king. I've got nothing to bring, and Lord, you've got everything. Very best I could bring are a couple fish and a couple loaves, but Lord, you're the multiplier. Lord, my righteousness is as filthy rags, but Lord, you're the one that washes me clean. You're the king. I'm the subject, and I subject myself to you. Jesus is the foremost figure. He is the preeminent figure in this church, in our lives, in this community, and we honor his name. We honor the name of Jesus, which means we never use the name of Jesus in vain. It's in the commandments. What does that mean? It means that we don't use the name of Jesus to curse. We don't say GD or JC as a curse, an exclamation out of anger. If that's how you've been raised and just who you've been, you need to be intentional about reestablishing that language as sacred in your own mouth, the mouth that he created and now he reigns over. You don't take it, that holy name, the name of salvation, and use it as a curse. Use it as something to spit out in a moment of anger. We honor his name. He's, he's the king. We honor his name by not taking it in vain, which means we don't treat the name of Jesus lightly. We don't use it as a petty punchline and a cheap joke. And by the way, this is, goes the same for the Holy Spirit. We don't make a mockery of the Holy Spirit or the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's not a joke. We know too much of who he is and who we aren't. We've read too many stories about God saying, I want you to keep my name holy. You know, I'm think, thinking about all these situations with the UFC fighters. And the number one thing they always say to each other is, keep your name out of my mouth. Wait, keep my name out of your mouth. People fight wars over this thing. And they're not kings. They're just men. See, when we say the name of Jesus, we need to say it with adoration. When we say the name of Jesus, we say it with glory. When we say the name of Jesus, we say it as the king eternal. When you begin to do this, I believe your other language will begin to come into alignment with this. And, and now blessings can begin to flow. I remember one time I was in college. I was taking a course on religion. And it was taught by this minister, this woman minister that you know, had a couple people in her church and, and was teaching this course about God. And every week it was getting more and more off the rails. Every week it was getting crazier and crazier. I remember one of the final weeks I was there, I was contemplating leaving this class because it might have been religion, but it was not godliness. It was wild. I remember towards the end of class, she opened it up. She said, okay, now that we've talked about who God is and all my strange pet beliefs, she says, let's talk about the names of God. I'm going to write on the whiteboard. Tell me some of the names of God. Of course, people started at first saying Jesus and God and Holy Spirit, the usual things. She wanted to stir the pot. 
She say, okay, I know, all right, but what about the real names of God? What are some other names? And, and people could get the vibe that this was supposed to be more of a mockery thing. So people started throwing other names out there. Of course, it said Muhammad and Allah. And, but then they started saying, well, what about the name she and, and her? And what about the name uh, uh, Alfred? And all of a sudden, all these strange names get put on the board. Five, ten minutes go by. It's getting weirder and weirder. Strange idolatry names, and I'm sitting there the whole time, seething, frustrated, angry. I couldn't even figure out why. What's going wrong with what's happening here with this strange ideology that, by the way, is invading our culture and churches here 10 years later? I remember in that moment that the Holy Spirit brought to my mind the name he gave himself. In my heart, I heard God say, I am. He already gave himself his name. I raised my hand and said, the name of God is I am. And I swear to you, in that moment, the anointing fell in the room. Everyone got quiet, uncomfortably quiet. And the, the minister said, why, why, why would you say that name? And I had the opportunity to present the gospel of, of Jesus. Brought him back to when God introduced himself to Abraham. And he says, I am your shield. I am your reward. When he goes to Moses and he speaks to him from the burning bush. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? He says, say I am that I am sends you. He encompasses it all. He is all that is good and great in the universe. He determines who his name is, and he says, I am. Jesus arrives. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And anyone that wants to come through the Father must come through me. I am that I am. What am I saying? We don't get to tell God who he is. He's already determined who he is. His name is Yeshua. He is Jesus. I am that I am. We will not take his name lightly because Jesus is our king. He's our savior. He's the anointed one. He is the one that brings freedom to us all. Thank you, Lord, that you reign over your kingdom. When we worship the name of Jesus on Sunday, his presence arrives. He's called by his name. When we give, when we take in his word, an eternal thing begins to happen. The kingdom of heaven touches the earth. The second thing you need to know about the kingdom of heaven is that the church is a consulate. Jesus is the king and the church is a consulate. It is an embassy. The church is an outpost of eternity on planet Earth. You know, in embassies, when they're located in different nations, they represent the nation of their origin. They fly their own flag. And, and technically, within the soil of that embassy and that consulate, it's actually the soil of that foreign nation, even though it's located in another nation. If the, if the building of an embassy or a consulate catches on fire, that the, the, the firemen have to get permission from that nation to go in and hose it down because it is foreign soil. 
hear me, the church is the foreign soil of the kingdom here on planet earth. The church is a consulate. The church serves a different king. The church has authority from a different realm. The church is part of another place. The church is holy ground. When Moses encountered God for the very first time, the, 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 the bush was on fire and yet not being consumed. And the voice spoke from that burning bush and said, Moses, take your shoes off for you are on holy ground. But hear me, that wasn't the only time that fire appeared on earth. In the book of Acts, right at the beginning, Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that fire from heaven came down and rested on the people. The same fire that made that ground holy makes the ground amongst his people, his church, holy. Every single Sunday when people come into this place, every Sunday when they come into the gathering of the saints, hear me, I'm so glad you're watching online, but you've got to get into the gathering of the saints. Let this be extra, but wherever you're watching from, find a church that's open and get in there because it's holy ground. The fire that was on Moses in the burning bush is the fire that was on the, the people in the book of Acts is the fire that comes down every single Sunday when his people gather together. It is holy. Why? Because the church is a consulate of the kingdom of heaven. And when the people gather together, the kingdom comes close. I've heard it said from people, many times I've heard testimonies where they say, Pastor Jordan, when I drove onto the parking lot, I could sense something. Some people sense peace. Some people sense the presence of God. Some people can't even describe it. They just keep saying it's different. It's, it's different. They'll say, well, what was it? I can't tell you it's different. I heard of one person who was Delivered when they stepped out of their car into the parking lot, before the lobby, before the chairs, before the altar, before the preaching. Why? Because there's something sacred about the gathering place of the believers. Jesus is the king, but the church is the outpost of the kingdom of heaven on planet earth. Every single Sunday, we get to experience eternity. We get a glimpse of heaven. Every Sunday, there's worship in the house of God. Every Sunday, there's prayers being prayed and answered in the house of God. Every Sunday, there's the presence in the house of God. Every Sunday, there's communion and there's friendship and there's the word revealed in the house of God. Let me tell you, those are all heavenly things. Those are all things that we are going to engage with in heaven. There's going to be worship in heaven. There's going to be the presence of God in heaven. There's going to be communion and a massive festival with Jesus at the table in heaven. And we get to experience it in a small, in a glimpse, in a, in a temporary state here in the house of God. But make no mistake, eternal things happen in the church. You might say, Jordan, why, why are you talking about this? I'm trying to, to get you to understand that Jesus came to establish something. He came to establish his kingdom. It is radically different. It is important. It is powerful. He is at the head of his kingdom. You and I are the people receiving the word. And when the word gets in us and begins to be manifested through us from glory to glory, strength to strength, it begins to create a community that is radically different than the world around us. Church, we are done looking to culture to get clues to our own calling. We are done trying to assimilate to the world's way 
that we might receive the world's applause. We are done preaching sermons that would get an amen from antichrist people. We are going to be separate, different, set apart. We are going to love all. We're going to serve all. We are going to be around all. But make no mistake, we are only going to be dedicated to one. The church is Christ's community. We're here to show what it looks like when the teaching of God works in a group of people. It's going to be imperfect because we're still on earth, earth and not in heaven. But we will be different. I pray the church looks radically different than the world. When the world chooses isolation, the church chooses to gather. When the church chooses fear, when the world chooses fear, the church chooses faith. When the world chooses tension, the church chooses peace. When the world stirs up discord, anger, violence, the church chooses unity. Friendship. Forgiveness. When the world says law, do better, be better, get better, the church says grace. May God help you, sustain you, and lead you. I pray that our church looks radically different than the world. It doesn't matter how you come in, but when you do come into the church, class disappears. Your socioeconomic status, it disappears. Your country of or origin, it disappears. What you look like doesn't matter. You are now a brother or a sister in Christ Jesus. We are under his king, under part of his kingdom. We are now together under Christ. The whole world may fall, fade, but Christ remains. My final point about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is that we are ambassadors. Jesus is king. The church is the consulate, but the Christians, we are ambassadors. Second Corinthians says this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You're a long way off, but you don't have to be. You're distant, but you could be close. You're unforgiven, but grace is available to you right now. Be reconciled with God. Hear me, Christian. This is our commissioning. This is who we're called to be and what we're called to do. We are here to declare the gospel of Jesus on the earth, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them how to follow Jesus. Whatever happens out there, it does not change the calling in here. Whatever happens around us, does not change who we are called to be and what we are called to do to clear the gospel of Jesus Christ on the earth. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to follow Jesus. In other words, we're messengers. We're messengers. And all we have to do is continually speak the source. It's the word of God. We don't have to be geniuses. We don't have to know it all. We don't have to have it all right. We don't even have to be able to defend it all. We just have to hold to it. We're the messenger, but here's the dispatch. These are the letters from the foreign kingdom. These are the proclamations of our foreign king. He's not on this earth. 
He's across the universe. But here are his words. And this is what we're going to trust. And this is what we're going to live by. And this is what we're going to proclaim. No matter what turn culture takes, we're ambassadors of Christ, not culture. We serve him, not ourselves. And certainly not mankind, their ideologies, or their idols. We choose Jesus. See, this is why the enemy wants to move you away from the word of God. Because when you receive the word of God, when you trust the word of God, when you know the word of God, now Jesus comes with all his authority and he says, you are now my servant, part of my kingdom. Go represent me with this word. This is why the snake always says, did God really say? Because he wants to undermine the power of the word through people. Because if the enemy can invalidate the word, he can invalidate our call. But if we hold true in our trust to God, we hold true in our trust to the word. Though the world may fall, Christ remains. His word remains. His church remains. And not only are we going to worship on Sunday, see healings on Sunday, see forgiveness happen on Sunday, salvations happen on Sunday, we're going to gather one day in eternity together. There will be friendship. There will be freedom. There will be liberty. There will be healing in that place and in that time. Until then, right now, our call is to join God's counter-cultural revolution on planet Earth, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. So I pray over the next few weeks as we preach through the rest of the Beatitudes, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that you begin to internalize these words as the way in which we will live. There's a great quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. that says, many people will take the Sermon on the Mount as a banner to sail under instead of a rudder to steer by. This isn't something we just celebrate. This is something we're going to choose to live by. This is what our church is going to proclaim. It's Christ's word through us. And I believe when we proclaim his name, the anointing is going to fall. Things are going to change. And my hope is that we'll grow together into a community that reflects Christ's love, grows deep together in friendship, and deep in doctrine, and that we will remain strong through whatever comes our way. I pray that we are Awakeners. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.